and I will drain you of your money, your comfort, and your self-respect. The girl boss villain is everywhere today, but are these stories about toxic female bosses, incisive capitalist critiques, or are they actually kind of misogynistic? The on-screen girl boss villain follows some common patterns. She's a fake feminist. She profits off of rhetoric about girl power and social justice, but is ultimately just out for her personal capitalist gain. I know that part of Waham's mission statement is lifting up every woman, but can you really do that if the price point is so inaccessible? She tends to be white and might mistreat employees or engage in exclusionary racist policies. The girl boss villain might be framed as not a real woman, and her actual villainy might be confusingly lumped in with her being painted as masculine. Now get your bony ass out of my sight! But more substantive girl boss villain portrayals point out how she's been negatively shaped by the double standards of her cutthroat corporate environment. A woman, that, that's a minus. Well, of course it's a fucking minus. I didn't make the world. Her problem is often that she's trying to succeed like a man, i.e. to get rich and powerful in the same old system instead of making real change. And ultimately, her fatal flaw is hypocrisy. She promised to be different, and so the girl boss villain seems worse than the bad guy bosses because people expected her to be better. You can both go in the girl's line. But I'm not a girl. They'll be discussing female anatomy in this class, which I'm sure will be helpful for you." The mid-2010s saw a burst of rhetoric and excitement around real-life girl bosses. But by 2020, increased attention to social justice triggered the downfall of a series of high-profile female CEOs and company founders who were called out for performing feminism while acting badly behind the scenes. The CEO, Steph Corey, was going into Slack and on public channels, um, really berating them when they made mistakes, and really using the company mission as almost a weapon to say, if you were really dedicated, you would work 15-hour days. So the rise of girl boss antagonists clearly has some basis in reality, and critiques of fake girl boss feminism are an important way of pointing out how easily Me Too-era feminist rhetoric can be co-opted by self-serving commercial interests. But there's also an obvious problem with how prevalent this trope is becoming. It promotes the feeling that a woman can't be successful without being, um, evil. You're my guardian robber. Moreover, while today's girl boss villain is presented like a contemporary critique, it actually continues a long tradition of villainizing ambitious female characters and suggesting their desire for power is unwomanly or unnatural. Here's our take on how today's surplus of girl boss villains is getting dangerously misogynistic and how to get this character right. If you're new here, be sure to subscribe and click the bell to be notified about all of our new videos. This video is sponsored by Skillshare, an online community offering thousands of classes by creative instructors. Right now, the first thousand viewers to click the link in the description below will get an entire month of Skillshare for free. Explore all kinds of classes, from the path to YouTube success with Marcus Brownlee, a creator with 13 million followers, to taking perfect portraits with photographer Jessica Kobesi. Click the link in the description to try Skillshare today. The term girl boss was coined in 2014 by Nasty Gal founder Sofia Amoruso, originally intended to provide a hip, almost badass spin on the image of the female boss. In a 2010s version of Having It All, the label conveyed that women could strike an effortless balance between power and femininity. I am a girl. 
And that shouldn't be a bad thing. But setting aside how condescending and unnecessary it feels for the word to remind us this boss is not just a woman, but a girl, the term has since been exposed as conveying a pseudo-feminist rhetoric. The girl boss wasn't ever really about feminism, but about capitalism. She was simply packaging up female success in a way that was most profitable for her. We are turning the boardroom into the broad room. It's the duplicity of the girl boss that's especially triggering. Even if she's not worse than plenty of male bosses on screen and off, her pretending to be better and speaking about her company as a force for social good somehow makes her feel more insidious. Despite how much she talks about empowering women too, she's often callously indifferent to or actively hurting women beneath her on the totem pole. It was my idea. She stole it from me, I swear. Good God, Tess, don't you know when to stop? The girl boss villain uses progressive or feminist rhetoric as a front for questionable behavior behind the scenes. The wild Gretchen Klein justifies her dangerous social experiment of stranding a group of teenage girls on an island with the idea that it will prove female superiority. It is women who have a natural gift for creating harmonious and capable communities, and that the reins of power should finally be shifted into their hands. But she doesn't care if she hurts these actual girls to prove her thesis. Sex Education's Hope Haddon presents a progressive face to attract funders, only to increasingly enact regressive policies on the students. I would say that I'm just here to try and bring back a sense of community and family values. Stormfront on the boys builds up a massive following on social media with her woke politics, yet is secretly an actual Nazi with an agenda of hate. We are in a war for the culture. The other races are grinding us down and taking what is rightfully ours. Even Daenerys's dark turn at the end of Game of Thrones turns her into a girl boss villain. For a season, she preaches about radical social change and frees slaves in order to gain power. But once she's on the verge of actually taking the Iron Throne, she reveals herself to be a murdering tyrant who cares only about everyone serving her. How do you know it'll be good? Because I know what is good. Other girl boss villains might not position themselves as feminist saviors, but they do use feminist rhetoric to excuse their bad behavior, often arguing that they're being blamed for things that men routinely get away with. No one would have found out what you did, but no, you know, you, you want power and success. I'm supposed to apologize for that. Men never do. Obviously, this line of argument feels hollow when a character is using it to justify seriously bad actions like exploitation or murder. So the end result ends up suggesting that when a woman complains about double standards, it's probably part of a shallow, self-serving, or insidious agenda. You can't convince a woman to do what you want, then you call her a bitch and threaten to kill her. At her core, the girl boss villain embodies the message that a person doesn't automatically escape being a capitalist oppressor just by being female or belonging to a minority group. Yet, while this is valid as a critique of capitalism, the girl boss villain trope can very easily become misogynistic if it creates an association between all successful women and a total lack of humanity. Just because you have no semblance of a life outside of this office, you think that you can treat all of us like your own personal slaves. It's revealing that the overwhelming prevalence of the girl boss villain has coincided with growing misogynistic backlash to the Me Too movement. According to a study reported in Business Insider, one in five CEOs are actually psychopaths, but most CEOs are men. So why does our culture frequently highlight the portrait of a financially successful woman as inherently cold-blooded? And I've been poor. It doesn't agree with me. Let's merge. 
you and I. Even long before the girl boss term, stories about the ambitious female as cautionary tale have often portrayed her as trading her femininity or romantic potential for success. Sigourney Weaver's character Catherine in 1988's Working Girl is a villain because she steals her assistant Tess's idea. But the condemnations of Catherine's character are bundled together with insults about her appearance. Now get your, what did you call it? Pony ass. Bony ass out of my sight. The nasty takedown that she's too bony suggests Catherine's moral failings are linked to her less feminine frame, while soft-spoken Melanie Griffith's curves and sex appeal are signs of her being a more authentic businesswoman. You're the first woman I've seen in one of these damn things that dresses like a woman, not like a woman thinks a man would dress if he was a woman. A year later in The Little Mermaid, girlboss-esque Disney villain Ursula tries to trick poor feminine Ariel out of her voice and soul with a dubious contract. But in the end, like Tess, Ariel gets the man who brings her the happy ending, and the less feminine girl boss is defeated. Since then, numerous stories have implied women have to choose between career success and romantic or domestic fulfillment, and that ultimately femininity, romance, and family are essential to happiness. If a woman doesn't sacrifice those things, perhaps like Tess or Ariel, she might get lucky and win it all. But if she pursues career success at any cost like a man, she'll drive away all potential male partners and end up unhappy and alone. In 2006's The Devil Wears Prada, Miranda Priestly's ascendancy comes with the cost of loneliness. The dragon lady, career-obsessed, Snow Queen drives away another Mr. Priestley. Whereas the next generation Andy can achieve more balance, but only because she refuses to keep putting her job above her personal life and values. In 2009's The Proposal, Sandra Bullock's Margaret Tate is viewed as a horrible, hateable boss until she's transformed into a love interest, which feminizes her and simultaneously makes her human. Even some of today's dark girl bosses are portrayed as colder toward the idea of love or having a family. Do you regret it, not having children? Do you ever regret having them? What ties them all together, though, isn't necessarily a lack of femininity, but of humanity. I Care A Lot's Marla Grayson, a legal guardian for the elderly who abuses her position, is the quintessential example of the girl boss villain's hollowness. Trust me, there's no such thing as good people. She has the power suit, chic bob, and thriving network, and she's fluent in calling out sexism. Does it sting more because I'm a woman? But her money comes from ruthlessly exploiting vulnerable people, and she feels no remorse about destroying countless lives. I thought he'd last us at least another five years. The film's intended message seems to be about how anyone who succeeds in our capitalist system must be terrible. Playing fair is a joke invented by rich people to keep the rest of us poor. And it shines a light on how guardianship arrangements are loaded with economic incentives for people to behave insidiously. But the viewer is also primed to despise Marla. Hey! and possibly even celebrate the karmic justice of her death in the end, even though she's murdered by a disgruntled man shooting her on the street, which is a frightening image for any woman. Perhaps the biggest problem with today's girl boss villain portrayals is their one-dimensionality, which makes it hard to like or see much nuanced personality in them. We can see evidence of a double standard in how stories in the media frame similarly successful yet amoral male characters as still magnetic and largely likable. Billion's Bobby Axelrod is certainly an anti-heroic character who's portrayed as narcissistic and pathologically competitive, but the show has plenty of moments that admire or even worship his intelligence, drive, and smart business-making decisions. Because when I pull a deal off the table, 
I leave Nagasaki behind. For all that he's criticized, the overall impression or feeling many viewers have of Axelrod may be fairly warm. I have contributed hundreds of millions of dollars in taxes and philanthropy. <laughs> Likewise, while the biopic Steve Jobs explores the Apple creator's many failures as a colleague, romantic partner, and father, the end of the film also suggests that this is all due to emotional baggage we're made to empathize with. What the hell can a one-month-old do that's so bad? His parents give him back. Even Entourage's high-powered Hollywood movie agent Ari Gold, who's straight-up abusive to the people he works with. It's because I spend my life in here being bored to death by you people, all right? Jesus Christ, you all suck. Is framed with a tone that encourages us to laugh at his racist and homophobic jokes about his assistant Lloyd and admire his nonstop drive. Well, I've always dreamed about ruling the world, but now that I'm getting older, I would settle for ruling Hollywood. The demonization of girl boss characters is also evident in how the media destroys problematic female CEOs and company founders in real life. We've seen wide coverage of numerous examples like Audrey Gelman of Social Club The Wing, Ty Haney of athletic apparel brand Outdoor Voices, Mickey Agrawal of Period Underwear brand thinks, Sierra Tishgard of Great Jones, Steph Corey of luggage company Away, and most notably Elizabeth Holmes, the founder of the fraudulent health startup Theranos. Holmes faces decades in prison if convicted of deceiving investors, doctors, and patients while at the helm of her failed blood testing company. Certainly, someone like Holmes seems to deserve the scrutiny and prosecution she's facing for her serious alleged crimes. But the tone of all this fallen girl boss coverage is revealing because, by contrast, scandals which affect male-led companies are often portrayed as implicating the company as a whole rather than zeroing in on one male leader. In 2016, the Rockefeller Foundation and the Global Strategy Group found that 80% of print and digital media sources cited female CEOs as a source of blame in company crises, compared with only 31% of male CEOs. The way disgraced girl bosses are treated in both news and pop culture is rooted in a long-standing prejudice against women in leadership positions, the Reykjavik Index, which surveys attitudes toward female leadership in the G7 countries, as well as India, Kenya, and Nigeria, found in 2020 that 39% of men and 24% of women would not be very comfortable with a woman CEO. The girl boss villain is a manifestation of these prejudices, which posit that women shouldn't be business leaders, and if they do succeed in business, they must be so inherently cruel and power-hungry that they're not real girls or even human beings. But I thought that you, as a friend, would want me, your friend, to be a part of Nasty Gal. Everything you do could be done by an intern. So is there any way to do the girl boss villain right? Nuanced portrayals of the villainous girl boss explore the context of how her capitalist environment has shaped and in some cases trapped her. Shiv Roy on Succession is objectively a bad person, but so is everyone around her. The writing cleverly showcases how the cutthroat environment she's working within has encouraged her ruthlessness and even made her feel she needs to outdo the guys in callous aggression around her to prove that she's not just the token woman. Yeah, it's a little... Ah, yeah, we get it already. Stop moaning about the rapes. People in Shib's world are open about treating her differently due to her gender, from her dad viewing her as a backup successor after giving far more early attention and training to her brothers. I've always thought you were the smartest. Oh, so that's why you tried Kendall and Roman first. To her husband Tom's resentment when Shib starts prioritizing her rise in the company more than his. He offered it to me. Be next. Because I, I thought that it was something that we wanted for me. 
Shiv is trotted out by Waystar Royco whenever her gender is useful and the optics of a high-ranking woman are beneficial to the company. But as soon as those specific situations are resolved, she tends to be again sidelined, overlooked, and mocked. Girls count double now, didn't you know? Oh, yeah, no, I know. I it's only your teats that give you any value. Though Shiv is cruel and unlikable, we can see she's smarter than her brothers, at least tries to have a couple of moral standards, and gets less credit for doing better than they do. You did good this weekend, son. The Crown season four looks at a figure many consider a real-life girl boss villain, Margaret Thatcher, and without shying away from what's controversial about her, it portrays her with an accuracy and depth that help us better understand the roots of her ideology. What is what people want in a leader? to show conviction and strength to lead. It explores how Thatcher was shaped by her class background and being the only woman at the table. The way those men patronize me, lecture me. While contrasting her worldview with those of plenty of other powerful women, including the Queen of England. And it leads us to think more deeply about what exactly is flawed in Thatcher's mindset, rather than lazily equating her success alone with villainy. Examples like these underline that there's nothing wrong with exploring villainous successful female characters, as long as the writing prioritizes three-dimensionality and truth. Other well-rounded portrayals capture how trying to be a girl boss of any sort is fraught, if not a losing battle for most women. The 2021 Scenes from a Marriage remake explores how women today navigate impossible standards in both the domestic and professional spheres. As Mira Phillips grapples with mixed feelings about being her family's breadwinner, she pushes back when she senses others trying to shame her choices. Men do it all the time, and then, you know, it's not really a big deal. So. Okay, as long as you've convinced yourself. I don't care if I'm convincing anyone. I don't give a shit. You can think I'm a monster. Think whatever the f you want, I don't care. But privately, she still feels guilt over her work trips and not being her daughter's primary caretaker. And while Mira derives pride, excitement, and a sense of identity from her success, this is also pretty precarious, as like many real-life well-paid execs, she's vulnerable to getting suddenly ousted from her job if the corporate politics turn against her. I felt so disposable and, uh, yeah, so really, I felt old. A number of today's seeming girl boss characters may subvert the trope's expectations or outgrow it over the course of their stories. Set It Up's Kirsten Stevens initially comes across as a classic girl boss villain to her assistant Harper, but we come to sympathize with how Kirsten has adopted this harsh demeanor in order to succeed in the male-dominated world of sports journalism, and her coldness is largely a response to feeling judged for choosing to prioritize her career rather than a domestic life. They just need to confirm you're okay with sharing a room with Helen since you're both coming alone. Do they need me to confirm that I'm going to spend $1,000 a night to share bunk beds like kids at sleepaway camp? Similarly, Ted Lasso's Rebecca Welton starts off villainous as she's planning to sabotage her own club AFC Richmond just to punish her ex-husband. But as the series progresses, we see how Rebecca is processing her pain over her marriage as well as the ageism she's faced from a media that favors the man who cheated on her with many younger women. The press is calling her Rebecca, and you're what? Old Rebecca. Old Rebecca. Over time, as she works through her difficult feelings, she becomes a true confidant and friend to her work team. Look, I know all too well how stunningly shitty the first Christmas after you get divorced can be. I just wanted to make sure you're okay. 
and blossoms into a pretty amazing boss. We also see female characters who aren't channeling their inner girl boss enough when the story begins, like Ted Lasso's Keely, who learns to own her personal ambition over time, and Marriage Story's Nicole, who finds that her painful divorce actually leads to a new life where she's professionally thriving and ultimately a lot happier. In reality, successful women vary like everyone else. While some are cutthroat and ruthless, some are wonderful bosses who mentor other women or prioritize employees' well-being. Most are somewhere in between, and all are complicated human beings. While we need stories that critique the unequal system that the girl boss villain participates in, we have to also make sure those critiques aren't reductive caricatures that demonize female success. It's a fine line to walk, but a necessary one. They hired another female executive and compete with her I did, till I got her fired. This is the take on your favorite movie shows and pop culture. Thanks for watching and don't forget to subscribe. Ever wish that you had the get up and go of a girl boss, minus any of the villainous qualities? This video sponsor, Skillshare, can help you harness that ambitious energy in a positive way. And right now, the first thousand viewers to click the link in the description below will get an entire month of Skillshare for free. Not sure where to start? I recently took Emma Gannon's class, Finding Fulfillment, Using Pivots to Power Your Creative Career. Emma is a total Renaissance woman, and her course is an amazing, practical kickstart to following your dreams. As we discussed in this video, vilifying success is harmful, so it's great to hear Emma focus on the importance of unapologetically pursuing your goals. Skillshare is designed to give you the best possible learning experience, so they have a strict no-ads policy, and they're always launching new classes to help you improve your practice. So click the link in the description below and start nourishing your creativity today.